0: Hello, and welcome to Say That podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Well, hello. With us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, is Lee Younger.
1: Earlier, my computer failed, but Jed was mentioning Himalayan salt. And my only experience with Himalayan salt is that I think it's pink, and Jed also was mentioning having seen the Barbie movie, which also involves a lot of pink. And so I'm thinking that this episode has been brought to you by the color pink. That's right. That's right.
0: It's very possible.
2: Color color pink number twelve.
0: That's right. For a second there, I thought uh Lee's Lee, your comparison was gonna be and I know Him and Sam Paul him and Salt is pink, and Jed also is pink, which is, you know, <laughs> I mean, true-ish yeah. in the Crayola sense. <laughs> but I'd forgotten about the Barbie movie conversation, so I was I was glad we weren't commenting on
2: anyone's flesh color. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Dude, product idea? I'm horrified, but please. We live in the age of customization. If you could send a picture of a friend or loved one to the Crayola company and they could use Photoshop to figure out their average flesh tone and then create an entire box of crayons in that tone and in where they print the name of the color instead of like, you know, tangerine, there's print your friend's name. Like wow. who wouldn't want a box of Jed colored crayons? <laughs> I would. You know what? Here's the, here's the thing,
0: Jed. And it's, <laughs> it's rare that there's an issue with any of your product ideas. But it's even rarer <laughs> yeah. that they, they come from a place of what could easily be described as naivete, because yes, <laughs> you could request, you could send in a photo of a friend or loved one, or of someone for other reasons that you would want their flesh tone to make your art oh, with. Oh,
3: so I think the Crayola uh, Company yeah. would need some
0: kind of like notarized document <laughs> yeah. from the person giving up their... Their tone rights or something. I am
1: Jed. I want a crayon in my likeness. (laughs) I approve this transaction.
0: Here's a photocopy of the front and back of my state identification, as well as my signature. I authorize this person to get my skin tone made by Crayola for their own creative purposes. (laughs) Wow, we... That was a hot start. We we went from Barbie movie to Hannibal Lecter really quick there.
1: I didn't know we were going there, fellas. Yeah. It's a journey.
2: It's a journey.
0: It is a journey as ever on the show this week. Our journey will take us through some of your fine questions. But first, speaking of the Barbie movie, we must declare a Barbie movie emergency. What? Wow. Not exactly a Barbie movie emergency. Um, We've talked many times on this show about a church pastor... Uh, Nashville psycho in general, uh, shouting uh, pink gentleman, Greg Locke.
3: Oh. And oh, no. if you
0: ha- I, you've probably have seen this clip by now, dear listener. But if you haven't, I'm going to drop the audio in here. And I want you to take a guess. Just stop down to yourself and guess what is going on in the visual of this. Because if you haven't seen it, I don't know that you're going to get it. So uh, two, and I use the term for loosely, Pastor Greg Locke.
2: The demon comes out when you expel it. The stronghold comes down when you demolish it with the Bible.
0: Okay. So we heard a man, a man shouting about, you know, normal crazy churchy stuff. You got to bind and demon and destroy and strongholds. Um, what, what he was doing, the physical action you may have heard was Uh, Beating the bejesus out of a Barbie dream house (laughs) with a Bible duct taped to a baseball bat. Oh, man. man. Wow. Oh,
2: gosh. Like, even
1: even the Simpsons, like, even Flanders would be like, bro, that's a little much.
0: Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. I I know we've talked about it much ourselves, and I believe we've mentioned the concept before on the show of of Christians being a certain type of Christian anyway, being a, a term we use called irony proof. Yeah, and mm. here's the thing: you're literally bashing something with the Bible. Yeah, you have literally <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> turned it into a weapon for bashing. Oh, uh. I I don't know how to make that any clearer. Also. <laughs> Can we talk
1: about the fact that when when people, especially Christians, uh, make a show of destroying uh, a product or you know crushing a product or whatever, you paid for the product. The company has your money. Yeah, they do.
0: Yeah, you went to the Target in Mount Juliet and bought a what appears to be four foot high Barbie Dream House. That's just a sale,
1: guys. The Mattel Corporation is fine with this. Yep.
0: They're fine with it. There's no thing you can check on the receipt at Target that says, I'm buying it because I don't like it. Yeah. (laughs) Like it all just kind of goes in the same ledger. It's not less money if you don't
1: like
2: it or you're going to destroy it. So I'm, I'm looking at the Google right now. And um, I don't have enough Barbie expertise to be able to say for sure which one was, he was destroying. But if it is a Barbie brand playhouse, he probably paid $200 oh, for the playhouse like, that he destroyed. Well,
0: Jed, you say he paid. The church paid $200 <laughs> but, that and probably for the but, intern's time to set it up on stage.
1: But can we take, can we take Jed's idea further and talk about? scriptures i don't know like the book of amos and yeah not one of the ones i
0: know about
1: how many how much justice could have been done with with 200 in the mount juliet area of nashville
0: even just a a barbie dream house you could just give that to a child that's pretty
1: jesusy yeah that's true
2: too You could even, if you really wanted to, you could donate it to a local place that that works with kids that are in need, and you could even have a little thing about how in Jesus' house there are many mansions, and isn't it great, and this dream house is a reminder of that deep spiritual truth. Boom! You brought children joy, and you did some evangelism. You're winning! Eh. Or you could hit it with a Bible bat. (laughs)
1: Bible bat.
0: Here's the thing, also, in the creation of the Bible bat... Because I, I think he probably didn't... The, no, the Matt, I can, I can, can I pause you for a second, Please. dude? I'm so sorry.
1: I just thought of this. Bible Bat Barbie Bash. That's oh, what we dang. had.
0: Episode title. <laughs> the Quad B. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Bible Bat Barbie Bash. Bible bat that does sound tail. like the kind of thing they would offer in a 90s uh, cartoon... Com- a 90s toy commercial based on a cartoon. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, like yeah. Right now, if you order the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles pizza flying garbage garbage truck, you will get a free Bible Bat Barbie Bash. <laughs> <laughs> you, do you love Pogo Ball? You're going to love
1: Bible Bat Barbie Bash.
2: Can I, off the cuff, can, can I do the mid 90s toy theme song that goes with Come it? Come on, man. Please. I mean, me, <clears throat> me, 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 me. Bible Bat Barbie Bash. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How do we feel about that? Love it. Love every bit of it. <laughs>
1: Dude, the next commercial has got to be a Pizza Hut commercial. I'm just telling you. That, that's what happened in my soul is that I just thought about how many books will I read to get some credit at Pizza Hut after that. Get your free you personal pan
2: pizza. Yeah, I got <laughs> it.
0: What it made me think of, and this is woefully off topic, but so what else is doing in the emergency segment? That that kind of thing is why they, you know, how occasionally, and I think Barbie's actually a good example, pop culture things will get refreshed and kind of, yeah it gets sent into a new time period. You know, Barbie very much created in the 60s, but the movie doesn't take place there and all that. That's why they can never do a Mad Men reboot set in the 90s. Oh. Because you can't yeah. do like the dramatic sweep of Don Draper's inner life when the like whiz bang idea that he comes up with that saves the big account is... The Bible Bat Barbie Bash jingle that Jed just did, but I would really like that, like John Hamm simmering, and just the the camera pans out. I've got it, and then you cut to a boardroom where Jed is singing that song, word for word, and people in oversized suits are like, "I think you've just saved the Mattel Corporation, Draper."
1: <laughs> well, now I'm now all I'm thinking of is when. Is a is a Brian Regan special that that Matt turned me on to, where he talked about the uh, the map song from the Door of the Explorer show. <laughs> that <laughs> just a guy that yeah. forgot his
0: deliverable. And they're like, did you come up with a song for the map? <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, yes. We don't often recommend uh, clean ish things on this show because that's not where I was like. But if you want a comedy that doesn't have swears in it, but also isn't terrible, Brian Regan. Very, very funny. Yes. yes. Yeah, yes. funny dude. Carry on. Save for the years in the back seat. Uh, so and here's the thing. We've been talking about this for 10 minutes, and we didn't even actually get to the part of this guy's really threatened by Barbie.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Very strongly. Apparently. That's
0: here's the thing. There's a lot of people, it's going around. There's a lot of people threatened by the Barbie, apparently. And there's a weird overlap with people who consider themselves Big, strong, manly men mm, who are yeah. also freaking out about people going to see the Barbie movie. <laughs> you gotta love masculinity, <laughs> oh, man. man. <laughs> like this is not this is a I think a spiritually related story from the from the week. Uh disgraced, and I love that they put that in the story. Disgraced pastor Mark Driscoll went on a Christian nationalist and right-wing wacko Charlie Kirk's radio uh, show and talked about declaring war on woke beta male pastors.
1: Okay. Oh.
0: If you're saying any of those words in that order, um, you should stop.
1: Yeah. And I don't mean stop saying the
0: words. You should stop that. But wherever you are, um, if you're walking, if you're standing in your home, if you're driving, you should pull over to a safe place and you should literally stop and sit on the ground until whatever feeling you're having passes. Yeah, that's right. And here's why, because you can't talk about how the woke beta male, uh, sissy pastors and Christians aren't standing on truth and standing up and fighting. To, and also, be mad about Barbies.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, th- this is your regular reminder. Like, obviously, you know, it's your right as a human. You can believe whatever you want. But just, you know, the historical person, Jesus of Nazareth, taught nonviolence and referred to himself as a mother hen and also publicly wept when his friend passed away. So. Those are literal things from the Bible. So just just something to think about, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe meditate on those things a little bit.
1: And the guy that wrote most of the New Testament said, I treated you as a nursing mother. Yeah. And used more uh, feminine metaphors about his ministry than, you know, typical, what we would think of stereotypical male metaphors about his ministry. So you might want to relax. Yeah.
0: Also, I don't know that we brought this up on the show and it's not as, as in our wheelhouse as the very, very good points made by uh, Jen Lee there, but don't talk about alpha and beta. That's weird. If you're a young person, particularly if you're a young man, I know you see that you see the alpha. That's weird. Yeah. That's an idea that spun off. And I think in the nineties and the idea was what we, they studied wolf packs and they have an alpha and it's the toughest male wolf and everyone else. Here's the thing. Even if that were true of wolves, uh, that's not how people work.
2: Yeah. And also
0: not true of wolves.
2: Yeah. The people who did that (laughs) study
0: have rescinded it and said, actually uh, the, the inner pack dynamics of wolves are much more deep and interesting and cooperative than that. So uh, you're standing on a sandcastle made of nothing. Please stop saying that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Particularly because if you think of yourself as an alpha male, um, you are in the same headspace as Greg Locke was after he hit the, after he did the Bible bat Barbie bash, because you know he walked backstage and just thought, "I'm the manliest man who ever manned <laughs> yeah, <laughs> by going up on that stage and hitting a Barbie dream house with a bat.
2: <laughs> just, just a thought, you know. Another thing that's kind of stereotypically male that you could do instead, you could volunteer with Habitat for Humanity and hang some drywall for a person who needs a home. Hey, hey, that's a thing you could do. Yeah, but Jed, that would be helpful. Yes, I like. I I don't know how to put this in in kind of smaller words, but like the the religion that all of us are claiming to follow basically says that we should live lives of love, and that love is demonstrated through being helpful to others. Like that that that's actually hmm. kind of that's most of it, really.
0: Well, that sounds like a lot of woke bait and nonsense, Jed. Let me ask you this. <laughs> um,
2: if I go to hang this
0: drywall, can I duct tape a Bible around my drywall hammer and use that to pound in the nails?
2: I mean, I guess you can. Like, if you've hung drywall before, I think you might realize that that, that would be uh, very difficult to hang drywall, depending on where you duct tape the Bible. Like, that... <laughs> That might be hard to do and make that work. Like, I, I'm not an expert drywall hanger, but I've done a little. And, like, I, it's hard enough without, you know, superfluous Bible d- duct tape situations. No, nah, I've got
0: a hardcover Bible. It's fine. <laughs> Large print. I've got, yeah, I've got those old red ones they have in the back of the pews. Oh. You can definitely hang a
2: drywall with that. <laughs> Well, I mean, like in that case, like you could just use the Bible in place of the hammer. It's the it's Eh, the need to put the two together that kind of like bring out this
0: hammer and all this duct tape. I just feel like this is going to be better. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, that um as ever with the best emergency segments that went to I think I'm what I'm comfortable calling some unexpected places. Yes, (laughs) quite. To be on the theme of the week, a journey that we all took together, and on that we will declare. Emergency off. And at that point, we, with that, we will move to your fine questions. If you have a question for us, hang out with us all the way to the end, find some ways to get this, or uh, scroll down your episode description and click the links you find there. Our first question comes in anonymously and says, I think I have depression, but I am also pregnant. I'm so sad and tired all the time. I know that these things mm-hmm. don't last forever. So do you have any words of wisdom or encouragement in this season? Now, Of the many limitations of this show, we talked about quite often, is that your intrepid hosts are four, three middle-aged white guys. So there's that. Uh huh. Yeah. Now, however, we do have people who are smarter than us that we listen to, and we have tapped one of them for some reference here. Uh, Lee, your your wonderful, wise uh, wife, Christy, has been through uh, three pregnancies and had friends who've been through more than that. So we went to someone who knows. And what wisdom did we gain there?
1: Yes, absolutely. I I want to start off by saying to our question asker, congratulations on your pregnancy. Hey. We we will be praying for you that everything goes well and that um and that if if you're experiencing sickness that that will uh, diminish and that everything will go well to term. So we will we will commit to praying for you on that and and please let us know any way we can help. Um but yes, as as Matt correctly uh as as Matt correctly said, I went straight to Christie with this question, and uh because I have never been pregnant um i have I have witnessed um through my wife being pregnant uh three times and she uh we have three kids and one who's about to be twenty and one who's pretty close to being eighteen and one who's about to be fifteen and um so that was quite a long time ago but um, Christy was a great source and, and she said there's a, in broad terms, she said there's a couple of things that she would, would tell you if you guys were having a conversation. One is that there are some, uh, anti medications that you can absolutely take safely while you are pregnant. So the first thing that we would suggest is that you contact your GP or your OBGYN and talk to them about the things that you're feeling, have conversations about um the 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 kinds of things that are making you feel low, the kinds of you know just just the the days that you're feeling down and and what's going on with all of those situations and and ask your GP or your OBGYN to recommend to you a medication that um that would help with your your depression symptoms and would not be a problem with your, with your pregnancy in any way. So that's the first place Christy said you should start, is uh, that there are definitely some medications that you can take while you're pregnant safely. The, the next thing that Christy said, and again, it would just be better if we just interviewed Christy for this probably, but since, since I'm on the mic, I will, I'll just give her words to you.
0: I don't think I'm comfortable is, letting the listeners know that there's a much better and more helpful version of this podcast featuring people smarter than us, so we're not going to let her think about that yeah
1: that's a good point um the other The other thing Christy said is, just in general, have tons of grace on yourself um you are going to feel a lot of things during the term of your pregnancy, and all of that is okay. You're exactly right in your in the way that you phrased your question that like I know that it's not always gonna feel like this um that's that is absolutely and exactly right as a result of that have tons of grace. You are doing an amazing thing right now. You are literally growing a human being. Like that is astounding. And so we need to just give. you need to give yourself freedom to have tons of grace on yourself. And when you experience something that feels good, when you do something that gives you energy or gives you rest or gives you peace, take a note of that. And and make sure that you line up those things in your day. Um, and then all the rest of the stuff, just try to say, I'm going to shelve that stuff and not stress about the rest of the things that don't feel good right now. Because right now my prime directive is I'm doing this. Um, and then the last thing that Christy suggested is other than, you know, talk to your doctor about medications that are safe while you're pregnant. And have tons of grace on yourself and focus on the things that feel good and don't stress about the things that don't is uh to uh, to really dive into and to uh you know sink your energy into a couple of c- close friends that you can regularly talk about all of the things that you're feeling with um if you have some some uh, close girlfriends who have uh who have been through pregnancy before that would be fantastic if you have some close girlfriends that you trust who have not been through pregnancy before, that's great too. Find some friends that you can talk to with whom you can be completely honest about all the things that you're feeling, who won't judge you on any of that, and who will listen to you and know how to ask great questions and dive into all that. So again, just from the top, let's find the medications that will be helpful for you in your particular situation that are safe while you're pregnant. Let's uh, not put a ton of pressure, not... Uh, have a ton of grace on yourself and find the things that feel good, not stress about the things that don't, uh, shelve those things and find some people that you can trust that you can talk to all of that stuff about. That is all amazing advice from somebody who's carried, uh, who's, who's carried three kids and, uh, and has, has given birth three times and I trust her with my entire life. So I think that's fantastic advice.
0: I totally agree. Uh, wonderful, wonderful stuff there. And Jed, let us with that uh, move away from maybe the specifics of pregnancy sure. as much as the internet needs more uh, middle-aged men telling women about pregnancy and pregnancy-related issues. Maybe we should broaden our scope a little bit uh, to, in this case, I think there's a very good and a very useful observation by our question asker here of, I know this this particular set of circumstances is not going to last forever. Yep. And I think that's important because there's... there's you know, depression and being in that place always sucks. But there are some different gradations and different varieties of it. And I think one of the big ones is there's some things where it just feels like it's going to be like this forever. Yeah. But then there are the ones that we know are time dependent that could be pregnancy, that could be you've just been broken up with or you're having a hard time uh, with a project at work or, you know, you've got a school class that's really killing you. Um, But you, so you know intellectually this is going to be Temporary the situation anyway, but I I do still think into that creeps in the idea of, but what if the feelings stay or what comes on the other end of that? So how do we, how do we navigate this kind of situation that we all will run into at some point where there's, there's a thing that we know has a time limit, but it's still absolutely wearing us out.
2: Well, these are great questions, Um, and so let's give some quick examples of things that might have some parallel qualities to this. So maybe you've been assigned like an enormous project at work. Um, And on one hand, you know, it's, it's a cool thing to get the assignment, but on the other hand, it's going to take over your life for the next several months as you, as you do this, that, that would be one thing that's kind of some parallels. Similarly, maybe you've been working on a degree and you're getting to the point where like, man, for the next six months, all I'm doing every spare moment is just trying to get this degree done. That would be another one with some parallels. A third one, which is something all three of us have experienced counseling people through is you're serving out a prison sentence. And, um, you know, precisely when your end date is, but it's not today. Um, and so, uh, what, what do you do with that? All of these, none of them are in any way the same as being pregnant, but all of them have similar qualities of a thing where there is, um, a clear end in mind, you know, date wise, but it's going to be, um, pretty difficult between now and then. What do we do? I definitely want to reinforce everything that Lee already said, which is awesome stuff. One of the things that we want to do is we want to be intentional about the way that we are framing the difficulties that we are facing um, because the, the framing that we use is going to help us um, and it's going to imply some solutions. So one of the worst things for anybody to deal with is a set of experiences that feels like it's just in a heap on the floor. Um, because how, how do you wrap your head around that? The more that you can give yourself shelves to store your experiences, to organize what you're dealing with, the easier it's going to be to make peace with them. And that's a lot of what we're trying to do here is figure out how to make peace with the situation in which you currently find yourself. So one of the shelves that we need to look at in terms of framing the problem is what is what is the duration on this? And challenging situations tend to come in three categories when it comes to time frame. The first is unknown. There's just absolutely no way to predict how long or how short this this will be. The second is from now on. Like, this is, this is my new reality. This is not going away. I need to figure out a way to live with this from now on. And then the third are things that are clearly temporary. Uh, maybe we don't know the exact time frame, but they, they we certainly know an order of magnitude on them. I would offer to you that none of those is necessarily better or easier than any of the others, but they are different in how you conceive of them. They're different in the strategies that you want to use. They're they're different in the ways that you want to think about them. And so framing the problem appropriately in terms of what the time is going to look like is really important. In this case and in the examples that I mentioned, this is a temporary thing um you know uh in in the case of pregnancy it's roughly speaking nine months. The other things that I mentioned could be shorter than that or or longer than that but but it is it is temporary, and so we want to cue our brains to kind of a a duality. How do I both deal with the day that I am in and also keep pace with the fact that this this specific set of of circumstances is temporary I, I need to be keeping a toe in both of those waters. And here's why. If you're not keeping a toe in the waters of how do I deal with the day that I'm in, I think you're going to reject a lot of temporary relief that would make your life a lot better. Um, Temporary relief is really valuable, man. It's not the only thing that matters, but it's really important. And if we're not willing to be present in the day that we're in, it's easy to overlook the value of good, healthy temporary relief. By contrast, if we're not clued into the idea that this will eventually, this particular set of, of um, uh, circumstances will come to a close, it's really easy to get to a place of despair. Um, it's really easy to not think about longer-term stuff because what's the use? It's always, it's always going to be like this. So the framing is really important. Here's the next thing that's a different kind of framing but is also important is being clear that the following two things, in the, in the case of the question I ask her, it would also be true in terms of a big work project or a degree. The following two things are true. This is a good thing. Also, it is massively kicking my butt. Yeah. Both of those things are true at the exact same time. And again, here's why that's important. If we're not willing to acknowledge that it's massively kicking my butt, then we will not seek help. We will not seek temporary comfort. We will not seek longer-term solutions. We'll probably rely on a weird toxic positivity thing and just try and muscle our ways through it, which is a bad call. By contrast, if we won't acknowledge that it's a good thing, we actually also miss out on a bunch of tools. If we acknowledge that it's a good thing, it frees us up to, to figure out how to practice gratitude, which this is not about a moral right or wrong. Practicing gratitude is something to look at because it can give you strength. <clears throat> um, that's that's why I'm I'm bringing it up. but. There are tools that are available when we acknowledge the nature of the struggle. And in this case, it is both a good thing and something that is absolutely kicking my butt. Both of those things are true at the same time. And we need, on an ongoing basis, to keep acknowledging them because they're going to give us permission to get all of the help that we need. The last thing I just want to go back to something Lee said he said, you know, something that makes you feel good. When you're going through a rough time, one of the things that needs to be tossed in the garbage bin is any idea of what's supposed to work. Don't worry right. about what's supposed to work. What matters is what works for you. Amen. Do, do Twizzlers make you feel better? Then buy some Twizzlers. It doesn't matter if that works for somebody else. Does, um, does watching I Love Lucy reruns just give you a sense of escapism that just lets you have some peace and quiet for you know, 24 minutes while it plays back? Great. It it doesn't matter if it works for somebody else or not. It matters if it works for you. When you're going through a really hard time, you're trying to figure out how to in a healthy way cope with it. One of the things we really want to look at is if I've got things that do help both in the short term or the long term and they're not hurting anyone and they're not causing any problem. Give yourself permission to lean into those things and take a hold of them so that you can get both the relief that you need in the moment or in the day as well as the strength that you need for the longer-term journey.
0: I think that's absolutely right. Twizzlers and Nick at Night is a, a prescription that should not be quickly discarded sometimes. <laughs> it's just what the soul needs. Excellent stuff from both of these guys there. Uh, as I will echo where Lee starts is off, which if you have any other questions, any of the ways we can be praying for you, anything else we can do to help, please, you don't hesitate to reach out, say that podcast at gmail.com. We would be glad to keep talking about this stuff, help you get any kind of uh, support sport we can connect you to. And with that, we'll move on to our second question here. It comes in and says, what's the difference between being the servant of all and being a people pleaser with no boundaries. I think it's a, a very cool question and a really interesting way to look at, uh, both the biblical concept, which is definitely in there, being a servant of all, and then also the way that gets used at, I don't know, churches looking for volunteers and these kind of things. <laughs> There's a, isn't all things an ideal and a practical going on here? So, Lee, where would we start off?
1: This is such a sharp question, man. Such a cool question. Uh, it's one of those deals where you realize the folks that that tune into this show are absolutely. Cool folks with really, really sharp stuff going on. Uh, We're thankful for the question. And as a person who is um, in a leadership role in a church, um, I'm glad you asked this. From a couple of different reasons. One, I am definitely in a place where, you know, tomorrow morning I will uh, convene a staff meeting with a staff who are trying to figure out how do we make a growing church run? and how do we get volunteers to fill in the volunteer spots that we've got a you know to to make the church happen we have a we have a small staff with a, a bunch of folks who come to a church and it absolutely doesn't work unless people volunteer at the exact same time as as you correctly said in your question there is this biblical concept of the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the servant of all at the exact same time um we know and we've probably all seen examples of people who feel this kind of this guilty thing of like, if I don't do everything, then I'm going to feel all this uh, shame about the fact that I'm not being helpful enough. And they burn themselves out. And before you know it, they they can't even show up at anything. They can't get any spiritual nourishment and they can't enjoy the fellowship of community. And they can't enjoy the good things about church because church represents a place that just absolutely burns you out like a battery, We don't want any of those extreme things. We don't want a church that doesn't function because people aren't helping out, and we don't want a place that burns people down. Also, when you do serve other people, you find life and fulfillment and purpose and all that kind of stuff. So how do we thread the needle and find the good spot? And the place that I want to start on this is going to maybe will be a surprising place, but I want to start here. Every single person is very different from every single other person. Say that. An incredibly important question is coming right now, and it is this. Do you know your own personality very well? This is an incredibly important thing for every person, not just for a believer who is a part of a community and fellowship in a church, but for someone who works in an office. Or someone who is a, uh, is a part of, you know, coaching a team. Or someone who is, you know, is, is a, a part of playing on a team. Like, any, there, in, in any pursuit in life, a really critical question is, do I know very much about my own personality? Here's what I want to go further with this. There are some people who get energized by being around other people and having conversation, and making small talk, and just hanging out. There are other people who are drained by being around other people, and having small talk, and making conversation. And here's the really, really tricky piece of this, and this is something that doesn't get a lot of, of airtime, and so I'm going to give it its due right now. Sometimes, people who are very, very gifted at small talk, fellowship, and conversation are also people who are drained by fellowship, small talk, and conversation. Sometimes people who are not very gifted at fellowship, small talk, and conversation are people who are also energized by people, fellowship, and, and small talk and conversation. This is some tricky nuance. My question for all of us is all the listeners, all the hosts, everybody is do you know your own personality? Here's the next piece of this, and this is super, super critical especially for a Christian community, your personality is not a bug, it's a feature. Your the, the unique nuance of your personality is not a bug, it is a feature. What you bring to our Christian community and to the fellowship of our church or our gathering or our ministry or whatever is an absolute feature. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to find out as much as you can about what makes you tick, what gives you energy, what drains your energy, what builds your batteries back up, all that stuff. Know yourself as intimately as well as you can, and then use what you've learned to then serve in a way that builds you up and builds us up. That's the sweet spot. We want to find something that you can do that builds you up and then, then knowing yourself, know how to build up your batteries and recharge yourself all that stuff so that we can get your best in a way that gives you life and then you know how to build your batteries back up. And here's the, the critical piece on this. All of those things are not going to look like anybody else. Jed alluded to this in the last Question. He talked about I love Lucy and Twizzlers. Matt and Jed and I were talking offline before we started the episode about I had a kind of a herring weekend with a lot of people visiting our town and all that stuff. All all the hangouts were very good. All all that stuff was cool. I hit a limit at a certain point, and my wife looked at me and said, "You have got to figure out when to say no to things." And then when you say no you've got to do the thing that's going to recharge your batteries. This was an exact quote from my wife. So there was a couple of extra things that were, you know, had to do with some of the people that were visiting and stuff. And I had to say no to people and some folks were disappointed. And then I drove to my house and I turned on my son's PlayStation five and I played a star Wars game. And you know what? That was fantastic. And and uh, after I played the Star Wars game, I took a nap for 45 minutes. And you know what? That was fantastic. And here's what that enabled me to do. That enabled me to drive back up to the church and turn on the uh, the recording machine and be a part of this podcast with these fine fellows and with all of you listening. You have gifts to give. And those gifts, if we figure out your personality, we figure out your gifting, we figure out the way you tick, all that stuff, you are going to make the 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 kingdom of God better. You're going to make your community better. And here's the really, really cool piece. If we figure it all out right and we learn as much as we can about you, it's actually going to build you up and give you life. But that absolutely definitely includes you learning how to say no at the right time and learning how to recharge your batteries. All of that is going to be better than you burning yourself out and all that stuff. So Learn as much about you as you can. Learn what your gifts are. Learn what burns you out. Learn what builds you up. And respect your own personality. Your personality is not a bug, it's a feature. We need you at your best. And because when when you're at your best, you're going to build us up, but you're also going to build you up. And that's super, super cool.
0: Absolutely right. That was all fantastic stuff. The the only thing I didn't like about Lee's answer there is I was a bit disappointed because I was really hopeful that he said he was going to say, I went home and I turned on the PlayStation 5 and there's this new I Love Lucy game and it's amazing. <laughs> and you, you know, you have to press X to do shenanigans. You have to hide before Ricky gets home. I'm just saying, if you're listening, AAA game developers, this is something you haven't tried yet. Come on, EA. Get rid Short of it. that, what's it going to take for someone to try to put uh, Lucille Ball in Fortnite? I think it can be done. <laughs> uh, other than that, all fantastic stuff there. Great place to start off. And Jed, where would we pick it up?
2: Well, let's turn now to the Bible, a little book you may have heard of. Oh. Mm-hmm. Just to back up. What did you duct tape oh. it to, Jed? <laughs> so I got a duct tape to my microphone right now. I'm talking to a Bible mic. So just to back up Lee's excellent points, so this is the message translation. in Galatians chapter six, starting in verse four. I'm jumping around a little bit, but make a careful exploration of who you are. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. To me, that's the Bible absolutely directly backing up what Lee was just telling you. Here's another Bible-y thought that I think is super easy to miss. Every person, every communicator has dramatic flourishes that they like and that they rely on. You know, repetition or tricolon or whatever. Jesus used hyperbole and exaggeration a lot on purpose. Jesus does not think you should cut off your right hand. If you're not clear on that, let me reassure you Jesus does not think you should cut off your right hand. Likewise, Jesus was never t- uh, can, uh, accusing anyone of giving their children live scorpions as a prank when they ask for food. Um, Jesus used, again, hyperbole and exaggeration a lot on purpose as a, a a teaching device to communicate. And that's exactly what's going on here with the idea of being the servant of all. Jesus is talking about leadership and what leadership like looks like in the kingdom of God and making the point that Christian leaders should see themselves as servants, not as bosses. Which, by the way, um, all of the latest management science from places like Harvard Business Review agrees with that. Like, no wow. one thinks that effective leadership is about you coming in being the boss. It's it, servant leadership is, is the thing, man. Um, but Jesus's point was not that you should be going like a hamster in a wheel 24 hours a day trying to serve other people. It's worth noting, and, and the way we can know that is it's literally not possible for you to be in an ongoing servant role to every person that you know. That, that's, not, that's not an implementable thing. That's not an achievable thing. So we can, we can confidently say that, that that's not the takeaway. The takeaway is that Christian leaders are meant to be servants. They're not meant to be bosses. And to take that even further, from a practical standpoint, you can't lead anything without boundaries. I was mm-hmm. actually, as a thought experiment, I was trying to think, like, could you be a leader who never sets any form of, of boundary and enforces it? I don't think you can because at the end of the day, like, the person in charge of anything has to declare, okay, this is what we're doing. We are, we are now going this way. So I we go, well, I don't like it. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. A decision has been made. This is what we're doing. Like, if there's not someone saying those words, then there is no leader. And, like, nothing can exist without some form of leadership. So, again, there are a lot of folks who have taken a lot of things that Jesus said both out of context and out of intent as well to kind of back up their own weirdness, but we, we can definitely, definitely, definitely with great confidence say that Jesus is not calling you to an out-of-balance life. That's not the point of this passage. It's it's more when it comes to leadership, is this about you um mm. giving orders and, you know, being this this far off impressive person, or is it about finding a way to to serve others and, and Christian leadership is about the latter? But I wanna pick up on the really awesome advice that Lee was giving and and Note that yes, you absolutely you need to know yourself. You need to know what makes you tick, what works for you. And uh, as a yes, and, and building on that, it has been my experience that people will frequently ask for help when they have no idea how big of an ask they are making.
1: Mm.
2: And one of the things for you is as you develop areas that you have some experience in, you are developing an expertise that the person in charge may not have. Right. So like, let me, I'll give you an example. I've done a lot of music stuff in my life for a lot of years and, and I get asked pretty regularly to help people with projects, which is a very cool thing. And I'm, I'm very honored that they, you know, would want me to do that. Sometimes the things I'm asked for take about 30 minutes and sometimes the things I'm asked for take about two weeks and the people asking almost never have any idea which is which. Right. Yeah. Um, the people who are asking for a thing that's going to take two weeks are not trying to take advantage of me. They don't know. They are not a record producer. And the people asking for the thing that's going to take 30 minutes aren't necessarily trying to say, hey, I don't want to take up your time. Here's something fast. It's more just, here's what I need. You can probably do that. Is that that something that you're able to do? Whether you're involved with a church or a nonprofit or a civic group or whatever, it's worth noting that people will routinely ask you to consider doing things when they don't know what degree of time and energy investment that thing is or is not. Um, They just sense that something like that needs to be done, and you seem like the kind of person who could do it. One of the skills that you can develop is figuring out how to honor, where it makes sense, the spirit of the request while redirecting the details of the request. Let's work through an example together. So my wife, Hallie, is a very, very talented baker, and she's made a lot of fancy French baked goods through the years. And there's a kind of cookie called macaron that take days and days and days of effort. They are incredibly intense. They're hard to make. They're super fussy. If you do anything wrong, you have to go back to the start. If you asked Hallie to make macaron, you're asking her to spend, like, three or four days of her life making you cookies, all right? By contrast, a chocolate chip cookie is, like, I don't know, an hour at at most. Right. One of the skills in life is that that it's important to develop in addition to knowing yourself, just like Lee said, is knowing the things that you do where something like, hey, I know you make good cookies. Could you make us some of those fancy French cookies and saying, I do make good cookies and I appreciate you asking. I can't make those because I don't have four days to devote to this. How do chocolate chip cookies sound? Right. We can call them lead chocolate chip cookies. Does that make (laughs) you feel an answer (laughs) (laughs) Now, here's where we get into that boundaries thing, because. I think nine times out of ten, a person who's asked you to do something, if you're like, can't do the one, can't do the other, like that sounds great. I love chocolate chip cookies. Let's do that. Once in a while, you'll have someone who's like, I'm sorry. Did I stutter? I said the fancy French cookies. Can you do that or not? At which point your answer should be no. This is a boundary. And the answer is no. The more that you know what makes you tick and the more that you know what's involved in the kind of things that you do, the easier it is to set healthy boundaries. Right the, e- the easier to know this is something that I can give and be a cheerful giver. This is something that I can do and can do with, with love and feel good about it. Then there's a point past which I can't really do it, and if I did, I'd be exhausted and pissed off and mad at you and mad at me. So the answer, the answer to those things is no. Um, God is not asking you to run yourself into the ground to do everything that everyone in your life comes up with. Figuring out how to approach these things with wisdom, that's the name of the game. Um, and that's what both Lee and I are suggesting to you. Amen.
0: I think that's fantastic stuff from both of these guys. Uh, one thought I would, I would tack on the end here is uh, where the story comes up in the gospels. There's a, f- a very interesting thing that comes after the the bit you've quoted. So in Mark nine, uh, starting verse 35, well, 34, it's uh one of the uh, classic uh, disciples being bonehead moments. Uh, They came to Capernaum and he was in the house. He being Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest Ah. sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be very last and the servant of all. So uh, to, I think Jed's point about a, a rhetorical use of hyperbole, that's a good, a good case for that. But then that's not the end of this little section says, He took a little child whom he placed among them, taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So I think that gives a little different idea to the servant of all. Um, So I looked up, as, as you can do on yourself, if you go to Bible Hub on the interlinear version, and one of the translations of the Greek word that's getting used there for of all is for all the parts of. So maybe not the servant of each individual person all the time, but one thing I think that is very good to take away from the story is if you are going to be a leader or someone who wants to be great in a Christian context, what that means to you, no one is beneath you. There's no group or section of people that you should look down on helping. So let's put that in in a practical sense here. If someone comes to you at church and says, you know what? We we've, uh, had some young families come. We got a lot more kids than we uh, actually have volunteers help out. You think you could help out with children's church? Now, it is perfectly fine if you say, actually, I'm doing these four things already, and uh, it just is a little bit more time than I can give, so not going to work. Nothing wrong with that. No, I don't think there's anything in that that violates the sense of this. If, however, probably not allowed, but in your heart, you think children's church, eh, that's not very cool, but well, I can't, I can't dispense wisdom to them. They're not going to be impressed with all my knowledge and my wise, wise words. That would be a red flag for what's going on right. in this package, because you are saying, well, that, I mean, I want to help, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to help with the kids or move chairs. Aren't I overqualified for that? And that's, I think, far more the thing that Jesus is directly challenging here. As opposed to the idea that you never get to say no when someone asks you to help them. So, with that, we're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, The Bible says, do not fear a lot, which is great. But how? How do I actually have less fear? And I think this is another fantastic question. We love the practical on this show. And yeah. Lee, where do we kick it off? Well, I, you know,
1: I, I also love this question. I, I thought of a few things that I, I hope will help uh that i think have been helpful for me one of them is uh actually comes from um <laughs> the the brilliant social philosopher uh tom petty uh-huh. uh, who who said uh once upon a time most of the things that i've worried about haven't happened anyway and it's such a good song dude such a, great a good song. song it's a great song um um but i i, I bring that lyric up to to suggest a practical thing, which is sometimes fear hits you and you realize that, um, it's a thing that you've been afraid of before. And sometimes you can look back over your life and realize I have been afraid of this before. And I found out through experience that I don't have to be for several reasons, you know, either it didn't pan out. It didn't, it didn't roll out the way that my fear told me it was going to, or, um, you know, whatever. Um there are times in your life that you can look back on and you can re you can remember and rehearse your life and realize I was afraid of this and I didn't have to be. That's an important skill. It's an important skill to be able to look back and realize I was afraid at times when I actually didn't have to be afraid. Um and then some of this is some of my practical answer on this is is actually maybe not that practical in the sense of Um, if you're a person of faith, if you're a person who is walking with God, that sometimes you look back and realize, I've been afraid at times when I didn't have to be, and that's helpful. And sometimes I also look forward and lean lean on and lean into my own faith and say, I actually am in a relationship and believe in a God who knows things I don't about my future, and I'm going to trust Him to get me through things that I don't that I'm not exactly prepared for I don't know are going to happen. But there's a, there's a third thing to me that is a really practical thing that, that I want to encourage you to, to lean into. So yes, we remember times that we were afraid that we didn't have to be because it didn't pan out that way. And we look forward and lean on our faith and, and, and trust that, that God knows things about our situation that we don't. Um, but there's a third thing that, that I want to impress on you. And, It's going to sound like an unanswer, but I I want you to stick with me for a second. And that is that being afraid is a normal thing. Yep. This is a, this is, I know this sounds like a weird answer to your question because you're saying, you know, the Bible says don't be afraid. How do I not be afraid? Um, Sometimes you're going to be afraid. I, I hate to answer the question that way because you're saying, how do I not be afraid? Being afraid is a normal part of human experience. There are times when you will be afraid. Here's the really, really cool thing. You are not alone. You have access to people, to information, to wisdom, and to help that are going to help you push through things that you're afraid of. I'm just going to be real honest about myself for a second because i've got some things that that routinely um make me either micro or not so micro afraid that other people may not struggle with in any way i don't love making appointments i don't love calling places to make an appointment whether that's the dentist or a doctor or the tax man or the whatever i just don't like that scenario and there i, I, I you know i i I probably need to talk to somebody about why that freaks me out or whatever, but I, I, I struggle with those kinds of th- those kinds of scenarios of making appointments or uh, dealing with certain types of paperwork or various businesses, and I will have a fear response if I have to do those things. I will sweat, I will feel nervous, I'll feel my heart rate go up, all of those things. And here's what I've found. And basically every single time that I've done that, I can push through and I'm okay. And I want to bring that up as a way to say, sometimes in your life, you're afraid and you can do the thing and you can find wisdom or you can find help or you can find conversation or, or a friend or somebody that knows about the thing and you can push through and, f- and do the thing and that's Okay. It's okay to be afraid of a thing and to push through and to do the thing and learn, I don't have to be afraid any longer. I did it. I'm okay. I made the appointment. I dealt with the paperwork. And maybe you're listening to this and you're like, dude, you can't make appointments or deal with paperwork. Yeah, I, I get freaked out by some of that stuff. That's not everybody. That's me. Um, and But you're going to have things, too, that you're – that you have a fear response from, and it's okay. It is a human, a normal human thing to to experience and to feel uh, the physiological aspects and the and some of the you know some of the results inside your own thinking and inside your own body of a fear response. And you're not alone on that. You can get wisdom and you can get advice. And on a lot of those things, you can push through and get yourself to the other side with help, not always by yourself, but with help, with advice, with wisdom. But sometimes you're going to be be afraid. I know the Bible says don't be afraid. Sometimes you're going to feel afraid, and that's okay. You can look back over times when you maybe didn't have to be afraid. You can lean on your faith for times that you're going through, and sometimes you're going to feel afraid,
2: and that's okay.
0: Absolutely right. I think it's a perfect place to start that off. And Jed, where do we close this out?
2: So I want to introduce you to a concept. Um, the phrase is harm reduction. And it's a really important phrase in addiction recovery circles. Um, this is my response to your question. You don't have to agree with me. And I want to be clear, there are a lot of Christians who would not agree with the following. And that's cool. But it's worked in my life. It's worked for a lot of other people. I think it would probably work for you. So I'm going to start by reading you the Wikipedia um Definition of harm reduction, I'm going to talk about how that applies to this. Uh, So this is a quoting from Wikipedia. Harm reduction is used to decrease negative consequences of recreational drug use and sexual activity without requiring abstinence, recognizing that those unable or unwilling to stop can still make positive change to protect themselves and others. So to put that in slightly smaller words, what it's saying is, what if we change the focus from, I'm never going to do this thing again, to I'm going to reduce the negative impacts that this has on my life as a starting point. Nice. And as a person who's been around addiction recovery stuff for a very, very long time, um, for an awful lot of people, that's, that's a really, really good idea. Um, there are plenty of Christians who think that the thing they need to do to honor God is to find a thing that is naughty and never do it again, no matter what it takes to pull that off, and that that is the the only way to to live out a Christian life. I would submit for your consideration that another way to honor what God is saying to you is to say, "What is the spirit of this, and how do I begin to grow towards that?" Mm. In other words, the Bible says repeatedly, "Do not be afraid." The spirit of that is God doesn't want me to live a life that's ruled by fear, um, and and I hope that you don't want to live a life that's ruled by fear either, because that that wouldn't be great. Um, I mean, if that's your thing, that's a separate issue, but like, uh, that, that is the spirit of what God is saying. And I I think you probably agree with that. So the question becomes, then how do we move towards that rather than jumping from a place where fear kind of kicks my butt all day, every day to, I'll never experience the emotion of fear again, uh, which no one can do, like literally no one can do that. How do we begin To move in a direction where fear doesn't run my life and critically, and this is for sure, in my view, the place to start, lowering and lessening the negative consequences that I get out of fear trying to call the shots in my life. So to use Lee's really excellent example of I don't like making appointments, I don't like calling people, I don't like dealing with the calendar, one of the negative consequences with that is do I – do I miss things? Do I do I wait too long between teeth cleanings and between you know physicals at the doctor and and you know talking to the accountant for my for my tax prep? Do I you know am I kind of you know causing myself problems in that? I don't know if that's true for Lee, but I can imagine that being true for someone who who you know deals with that particular thing. And the right re- approach there, in my view, is not about beating yourself up of you what a jerk you are to feel afraid. It's more about saying how do I lessen these specific consequences. How do I get to a point where I'm experiencing fewer negative consequences? And maybe maybe that's about a thing where at the end of my appointment while I'm there, I always set up the next appointment while I'm there in person and I'm already in that mode. And that's one less appointment I have to get on the phone and set up. Maybe that works for somebody. Maybe it doesn't. The point is we're looking at the consequences that this yields and figuring out how do I reduce those? How do I bring those down? How do I make there be less bad outcomes in my life and less suffering in my life. If you can dig it again, this is my view, and I, I know there are Christians that don't agree with that, but like, I would really encourage that, that you think about that. If you're interested in exploring that further, then there are some amazing tools that can help with that a lot. None of them are going to make you never be afraid again. Um, and right. I and I think it's worth noting that if you were to talk to a mental health professional, if you were to talk to a licensed counselor and say, my goal is to never be afraid again, I think uh, 999 out of 1,000 mental health practitioners would say that that's not a thing that that doesn't exist. And and the one out of 1,000, you should not see them as a client. Um, so um, in my view, um, again, in the spirit of oftentimes the Bible uses hyperbole and exaggeration and overstatement to make a point. Uh, God is under no delusion that you're going to get to a point where you never experience fear again. Like that's that's not going to happen and that's actually not a good goal. But if we look at I'm going to manage this, I want it to be less of an influence, I want to reduce the, the consequences that it can yield in my life. All of a sudden we're looking at things like weighted blankets because they can help you sleep more soundly. We're looking at things like breathing exercises because they can help you connect with your body in in a a better way. And they can help you get out of panic attacks in some cases. We're looking at things like meditation, which has been scientifically proven to have just – an incredible amount of benefit for your mental health generally and for dealing with anxiety. Um, If you are um, even for a time seeing a counselor, which is certainly something worth looking at, things like cognitive behavioral therapy can be incredibly helpful for, for dealing with anxious thoughts as can dialectical behavior therapy, depending on kind of what you're, what you're dealing with. But all of these are tools that exist to help you get better. All of these are tools that exist to help reduce the amount of harm that you experience in your life from fear and worry just kind of running unchecked in your life. If our focus is I need to jump from where i 'm at to never ever being afraid ever again again man i don 't think that's an achievable goal um, and, and i and even if it was i don't i don 't think that that's that that's how you get there. If you're struggling with that distinction, I want to plant one seed and, and just have you think about it. What approach do you think would make sense for you if God showed up at your home in a cloud and in an audible voice said, I am cool with this taking as long as it takes? Wow. If God said that to you, what approach would you take? Whatever approach that is, start taking that approach.
0: Excellent, excellent stuff from both of these guys there. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. Take out the song this week. This past week, uh, a friend of Jed and I and the program's passed away, Jeff Bryant. He was not only Mm. a wonderful fella, he was a talented musician. And we took some advantage of that to help... Have him help out with a Deacons division track. So, we're gonna take out it that. It's called I Know I've Been Changed. Thanks for listening, just remember really we love you, God loves you, there's nothing you can do about it.
3: I know I've been changed, I know I've been changed. The angels in heaven done sign my name. I know I've been changed, I know I've been changed. The angels in heaven done sign my name. A fighter and lover, a style like no other i servant to my God, how to send undercover. His grace is my honor, his faith is my armor. His word like a mac, brack, brack, then it's over. Yeah, I give free, universal donor. But I'm positive, hope got a new owner. Keep myself wide open, no Pandora. If you saw my story, then you know tomorrow. My mind on reality and the show's. My grind, simple man, reaps what he sows. To find purpose, find peace, let it grow. Then you find out God only teach what he knows. What I'm doing through the age. Clean to the grace, put an end to the ray. God changed me, never ceased to amaze. We to choose life, now we on the same page. Shame lose power cause then I was caged. I know I've been changed. The angels in heaven done sign my name. I know I've been changed, I know I've been changed The angels in heaven done signed my name I'm a new man, I am certain People at the bottom, yeah I serve them And I hear now, I was hurt then And I serve hard, till it's curtains Love, give, blessings. I don't deserve them I am confessing, The strong burden Voices of the weak I know you heard them, love until forever, like your word been. I don't mean to sound proud, ain't my doing, God is the aid. My broken heart on the altar was laid. My best work come to rags from the gate. Said my conscience is clear, but it ain't. No sinner ever think they're saint. The same. Grace thinner than the first coat of paint. All powerful cover his thing. How a man lives when he unchained. I know I've been changed. The angels in heaven don't sign my name. I know I've been changed. I know I've been changed. The angels in heaven don't sign my name. Lord, I know I've been changed.